Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. And welcome to another edition of Protecting America. In the last few days, I had the highest honor of being among true American heroes, unsung heroes who finally got the well-deserved recognition that they earned decades ago, fighting to defend our freedom and the world's freedom. I was able to join the brave Merchant Mariners of World War II for their historic Congressional Gold Medal Ceremony on Capitol Hill. And joining us now to talk about all of this and this incredibly important and incredibly emotional long overdue moment is Drew DiMattia. He is the national president of AMMV. That is the American Merchant Marine Veterans Organization, one of the most extraordinary groups recognizing merchant mariners from the greatest generation and, of course, other generations as well. Drew, great to have you here on Protecting America. Absolutely thrilled to be with you, Rita. It was an absolutely incredible, humbling experience the last 48 hours as we witnessed the unfolding long overdue recognition for these gentlemen. There are some women out in the arenas of the United States that did share in that time frame. We stay in touch with them as well. But what an incredible time we all shared together. Extremely humbling. It certainly was, Drew. Talk about the moment, because there we are. We're in Statuary Hall, and the who's who of Congress, of leadership, was there. I mean, Mitch McConnell was there. Kevin McCarthy was there. Nancy Pelosi was there. It was a bipartisan event, because these heroes, what they did was not about politics. It was about protecting this country. How emotional was it for you and also for the veterans? Unbelievable. Rita, as you just said, protecting an America, let's call it arsenal of democracy. The merchant mariners are part of that vital link of the supply chain, bringing in the arsenal of democracy. And let's not forget Congressman Joe Courtney. He come and delivered the linear historical value, what we witnessed in honoring our greatest center, right on through the current events of what's going on today and defining the necessity of why our merchant marine service is so vital. But when you look back forward to fellas, the fact that we were able to get Charlie Mills and Dave Yoho in the agenda where Madam Speaker availed this opportunity, it speaks highly of that bipartisanship effort. You talked about Joe Courtney, of course, congressman from Connecticut, but also yeah. John Garamendi was there and his wife was there. I mean, this was truly yeah. an effort that took a lot of spearhead. And, and talk about the journey first of all, to this moment, too, because it took years. People don't realize, first of all, to get the Congressional Gold Medal is an enormous deal. It's the highest honor, and it was for the group collectively, as you point out, men and women. But also, it took a long time, because first it had to go to the House, then the Senate, then it also went back again, and then ultimately President Trump signed it. But it went now, and then here we are, we're seeing you know Nancy Pelosi there, of course, now the House Speaker. But it was through a lot of administration, through a lot of moments. Talk about the legislative journey to make this happen. It's incredible, Rita, and that's the great point as far as when you look back. It's so great things take a long effort, a lot of work, but I would say Congressman Garamendi is a true champion. He was relentless along with, of course, the co-sponsorship and the co-author 
Mikowski from Alaska. So it's incredible when you look back at some of the failed attempts, and we're going back close to a decade, you know, it makes the House, it makes the Senate, you get your co-sponsorship. There is nothing short of huge efforts. We understand how busy our bipartisanship efforts are. But you know what? I, I got to say one thing in regards to the great team of people is that it's never too late to do the right thing. And you know darn well that the individuals in Statuary Hall, along with the maritime community, we had to get this done. I do believe truly that it was a joint effort when you look at you and I and everybody else calling and knocking on doors and the campaigns of letter writing to your representatives. It's a worthy, worthy campaign. But you're right. It just didn't happen last year or the year before. This was almost a decade in the making. You know, and as you talk about when I met these men and women, they just touched my heart. And I was happy that anything I could do to help to reach out, to talk to some members of Congress, talk to folks at the White House, they deserve it. And I was so moved when I met them. And then when I heard the story, Drew Mattia, about the fact that they had been waiting, I was like, are you kidding me? These guys, these men and women who really were on the front lines for freedom in World War II, I thought there is no way in heck that, you know, until my last breath, I'm going to make sure that they get the recognition. And I think anytime any American hears their story, they feel so passionate about it. But it, it really was like a feat of nature almost to get it there. When you heard, first off, that it was finally going to happen after going through all these legislative hurdles, what did it make you think about as someone who represents, I think, some of the finest American heroes out there? I tell you, Rita, like you just stated in regards to you getting on board as well. So I understood the necessity of getting this done and the passion behind this. My first reaction when I heard it finally coming to fruition March of 2020 and the efforts behind everybody, I got to tell you, my own personal way of handling things is I sort of decompressed a little bit because you get all this anxiety. You're trying to do the things that represent our greatest generation. I had a little decompression valve release itself, and then I started really beginning humbled that these individuals, this greatest generation that leaves us at such a high rate every day, this is long overdue. I talk to them often, whether it's Charles Mills, author George Shaw, all these folks. It keeps me busy. It's my passion. And finally, a little bit of understanding that our government, the highest award bestowed by Congress, they do feel very honored. I do believe that tooth and nail, I really think they're very well honored here. It's long overdue. And I do believe you heard a message from various representatives, and we're not done yet. Absolutely. Absolutely. By the way, you got to keep at it. I want people who are listening to this podcast to understand, too, why it was so long overdue. Because there's a history here, and it dates back many, many generations. First, let's talk about the role of the Merchant Mariners, because they were pivotal in World War II. 250,000 strong. Talk about the role, Dean Mattia, that they played in our freedom and the world's freedom. Amazing, Rita. When you look back at the dynamics of what it takes to maintain a supply chain, there are sometimes there's like acronyms, there's a lot of naval jargon. Uh, one of the things simply in the Merchant Marine was, the, oh, those guys carried the beans and the bullets. Well, without food and ammunition, what do you think is going to happen to any front line? Now, not even talking about modern-day campaigns. We all know things are going different routes and whatnot. The necessity 
of that arsenal of democracy to have the manufacturing army here at home to make all the supplies and then the fortitude of these merchant mariners to get on these vessels not knowing where they're going, volunteering, and a lot of them lying about their ages. So prior to December 7th, 1941, the Merchant Marine under the U.S. Maritime Service were already in the Lend-Lease program assisting Europe, assisting England. England. And amazingly enough, there was also the start of the Wolf Pack. Didn't really come to a head until like 42, 43. But prior to entering the war, December 7th, 1941, our merchant mariners were already carrying that Lend-Lease program and supplying the necessary needs of Europe to sustain and rid tyranny. This was long before. And then when you look at officially entering the campaign, we had a ramp up. When I say we, the United States had to get back to the drawing board and figure out how in the world are we going to build ships faster than they're sinking them. And so our ingenuity here. And you look at it again, it's a winning combination. They were certainly the vital link of having that supply chain going across both sides of the world at the same time. But the ingenuity here at home, see, that's what a lot of folks I don't think understand, Rita. And that is you put effort in understanding all the great resources of our veterans, their armed services. God bless every one of them. God bless the ones that still stand and do what they do with that signed check to Uncle Sam. But it takes a winning combination. And back then, we started getting the ingenuity to build ships faster than the wolf pack could even sink them. But then you had the sailor merchant mariners knowingly that this was necessary to get our supplies to the front lines. And it just blows my mind. It sends shivers down my spine every time I talk about it. It sure does. And they were also the highest casualty rate of any service. Talk about the ultimate sacrifice that so many merchant mariners made in World War II. It is incredible, Rita. That's one of the great points that a lot of folks don't understand. You know, statistics, if you look at black and white, you can get really good on things because it's just not that way. I don't know of any service or any archive data that's so correct, right? But the bottom line is, the picture is, the merchant mariners did have that high fatality rate. It is absolutely unbelievable that these mariners at the young ages of 14, 15, 16 years old and understanding that they might not make it home with any armed service. This wasn't an armed service to the degree of God's interpretation back then. Like you reiterated earlier, it took 43 years up until 1988 before they got veterans benefits. So, and that was highlighted yesterday in Statuary Hall. It's just a phenomenal group of people, and they remain a phenomenal group of people and a service to our country. Why did it take so long? What was the holdup, Drew Mattia, from, of course, World War II to 1988? You would have thought, my goodness, after especially the casualties that they suffered, the pivotal role they played, why did it take till 1988? That's like the $80,000 question, if I could put it to the basic layman's term regards. That's a detail we'd like to continue to answer. We don't want to look back on any negativity. We want to continue pushing forward with all the positive understandings of what occurred and what needs to happen as our history unfolds. When FDR passed, when we lost FDR, we also lost the largest advocate of maritime. And Congress didn't see it. 
the way many saw it, and we could, just like the Congressional Gold Medal, didn't get through the first attempt. I don't want to make up excuses, but I'll tell you this. It was a worthy fight. I still stay in touch with people that were on the plaintiff side of this situation to get this through. And I got to tell you, it just speaks highly of that tenacity to see it through so these people can feel, as they also did for the other armed services, being part of the success story and having a victory. One thousand percent. And by the way, on the gold medal, I love that it has the V for victory. Yeah. How many are alive today, Drew Mattia, of the 250,000 that played such a pivotal role in World War II? How many of them from that time are alive today? And tell us about some of the amazing ones that I've had the honor to meet. And I feel they're sort of like adopted family, which to me is the highest honor among these heroes. I got to tell you, Rita, in regards to our status and what we try to monitor and collaborate with other groups of veteran status groups and whatnot. I believe the AMMV is getting on the map and doing everything we could. But our estimates uh, highlight less than 1,500 World War II Mariners are remaining. But here's what we continue to discover, and that is through other communications of whether it's the Legion or other groups that are the honor flight people, we continue to talk and collaborate on social media. And what's interesting is that there may be some other folks out there that aren't aware of our existence. One, and you're doing a great job getting the word out there, so God bless you and everything that you're doing. The number's hard. It's just not a black and white number. But some of the incredible ones that you saw yesterday, Jack Laub. Jack Laub, an unbelievable story. He served and he came home and Next thing you know, he's playing NBA basketball. I mean, it's just amazing some of the stories you hear from these individuals. You know, in addition to that, and Jack is amazing. I mean, I'm thinking about all the guys. William, too, who is also such a great guy. Gerard Driscoll, James Lindsay, Charles Mills. I think about him. Here he is. He's 101 years old. He's about to be 102. There he was in the front row of the ceremony. And looking at his eyes and looking at his family, talk about his life story. Because when he turned 100, by the way, he lives outside of Houston, Texas, as you know, Drew Mattia. And there was a hometown that came out, a hometown parade, because it was in the middle of COVID. They had 100 vehicles saluting this guy. But talk about his life story. He still drives at 101. I was like, oh, my gosh, he's sharper than like anybody who's in their 30s or 40s. Just an unbelievable force, and I so much enjoyed his wisdom with such lucid words. And, you know, the less is more when it comes to Charles, and it just shines so much light on what he represents for the Merchant Mariners. So his maritime career in, like, 37, he climbed on the gangway, the SS Carlton. That ship was later lost in PQ-17. That's one of the convoys that went into Murmask. Timing's everything. Talk about Mermas, too, because I know about it, but for our listeners. Again, we were also assisting with reading tyranny. And so when the war was going on and these convoys, sometimes groups of 70 ships at a time, 65, 60, 70 ships at a time. So the ships were being routed into Mermask and Archangel. And amazingly enough, they were getting cut off of their own food supplies and munitions and whatnot. And there's the NATO fort. There's the United Nations in regards to a group effort. It was not just the U.S. flag, though we always represented the majority. And the particular Murmansk run there was on PQ, for example, is that 34 ships were in the original initial convoy 
and only 11 made it. I mean, wow. it's unbelievable. And those 11 that made it, there were some rules of engagement where the ships got torpedoed and the other vessels in convoy were ordered not to stop. You know, you can't pick up the people in the water. You hit the water that's frigid. You know, at 35 degrees, you're done in minutes. It's just amazing what these individuals faced. And it was one of the most fierce convoys going into Murmansk. And it was due to the fact that it's so deadly. A lot of times, there was a lot of hush. When I say hush, they talked about loose lips, sink ships. And a lot of the information back along our coast and the press weren't conveying the real picture of what was going on. Whether we all knew it or needed to know it, the bottom line is these merchant mariners will get on these vessels. Next thing you know, they're off the coast. Then Sparky, the radio operator, would open up the message and find out you're going to Murmansk. And, you know, the unbroken word in regards to the quietness that distilled on the vessel and knowing that you're going on these most fierce runs to Murmansk and Arch- Archangel, bringing in all the necessary supplies to help out Russia. Wow, amazing. And by the way, speaking of radio operator, right, I think William Balabano, right? He was yeah. radio operator. Also among the group, George Offenhauser, Bob Ross, was it James Sipple, and George yeah. Shaw, amazing too. And, you know, I want to make sure we talk about Dave Yoho, who is a great speaker. Here he is in his 90s. He gave the speech of his life at Statuary Hall, where you and I were present for this gold medal ceremony. Talk about his message. Ooh, I tell you, when Dave speaks, there's a lot of folks that certainly pay attention, don't they? And we saw some reactions going around the room. He has a really demanding posture, the charisma, and he knows the story. So what an unbelievable spokesperson, but not just a spokesperson, but just an incredible person that's taken on this passion once he met our group years ago, of course, Captain Chris Edivan, the previous president, now our editor of our magazine. But Dave is just an incredible person. He worked in the engine room, and of all places to work on board, that's not a safe place to be when a torpedo struck. And a lot of guys immediately lost. But Dave, when he was trained in Sheepshead Bay, you hear incredible stories of when, you know, the youthfulness of 15, 16, 17 years old. I believe that what I remember from Dave saying, I think, is his 17th birthday was right when the war ended. I mean, you're going wow. in as a young man. I recall when I was, well, I mean, there's no sense in even relating it. You can't relate. The greatest generation will never happen again. And boy, are we lucky to know these incredible heroes. And boy, yeah. you have, I think, the best job in the world to be the national president of this great organization. You mentioned Chris, also Sheila Sova, who is just incredible and such an inspiration. She's, of course, the daughter of a merchant mariner. And everything that you have done, I just want to say bravo, Drew DiMattia, being head of this incredible group, the American Merchant Marine Veterans. Everybody can also get details about it. Go to www.ammv.us to find out all about this extraordinary organization. And Drew, I just want to say it was amazing to be there to watch these guys and their family and all of you who have worked so hard and for me to be an honor to help any way I can. I love them all. And for me to see them receive the Congressional Gold Medal in Statuary Hall on Capitol Hill was amazing and something I will never forget. And I hope the world always appreciates the incredible sacrifice of these great men and women and their families. 
and you just keep up the great work. And I am always with you, my friend, and so great to have you here on this podcast. Thank you for all you do to protect and serve this country. Rita, we are so blessed to have you and see you yesterday. And I'll tell you what, we can't thank you enough. And God bless everything you do. And the Merchant Marine is going to continue on serving this country. It is absolutely long overdue. And we'll keep on running. Keep on charging. Heave ho, right? Heave ho. Heave, heave ho. You got it. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight, on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America. America.